You're listening to this week's message from Freedom Church. For more info on Freedom, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening. We are in week number four of a series called Taken. And this entire series has been about this notion of not only does God need your, like your heart should be taken by the Lord. Like you should be all in with Jesus. You should be all in with your spouse as well. And I've been really clear to everybody in here who might be single. Like singleness is not a curse. Okay, it's not like, woe is me for alas, I have no one. It's not that you're not going to die. It, it's, it's not a curse, but it's actually it's, it's opportunity for God to either prepare you and, and develop you. Or maybe like Paul, God wants you to experience a period of time in your life where it's just you and him. Like it's just you and Jesus. And that's perfectly OK. But everything that you're learning in this series, not only can you apply it to your spouse, you can apply it to your relationship with the Lord. You can apply it to your relationship with coworkers, family members, people in your life. Um, but week one, we talked about you not being alone. We, I don't want you to ever be in a situation where you're alone because when you put yourself, especially in a marriage relationship, when you put yourself into a moment where you're alone, that's typically when stuff happens that hurt your relationship. So don't do things alone. Be a fit helper. Be vulnerable. I know that's tough for guys because guys are like, boy, I ain't crying about nothing. Crying, just pain leaving. No, look, man, I've cried like four times today, Okay. I might have low T. Maybe I need to go get it checked out. But the whole thing is, it's like, I like being vulnerable. It's like, this, this preacher's a wuss. No, I'm not that. I just, I like being in touch with, with the side of me that's compassionate and all that kind of stuff. And, and I need to be vulnerable, especially with my wife, don't I? I need to be able to tell my wife, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. And there are times, I mean, I'll tell you, early on in our relationship, I couldn't walk up and say, hey, look. I know I'm fronting right now and I'm mad, but I want you to really know what's happening inside. This is how I really feel. But we've gotten to a place in our relationship now where I can say, look, yes, I'm mad, but I need you to understand why I'm mad. This is why I'm mad. And all of a sudden now, because we can be vulnerable with each other, life is better. We talked about in week two, disarming. Disarmament. So like, stop using words as weapons. You know, firing across the bow. That's a warning. The next one's coming at you. You're ugly. No, like, just don't do that stuff. Uh, About changing your intentions so that your intention is to help, not to harm. And especially stop using people's pasts as weapons against them. I I made a comment in that specific message that you can't have forgiven somebody of their past and still use it as a weapon against them. That's violating the relationship Geneva Convention. Last week was, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Pursuing people's ultimate good. It, it, was about, it was about loving even when things are tough. Even when somebody has something to say to you that doesn't exactly feel good. It's like they're checking you. Even in those moments, that's love. Uh, and then how love always pursues what's best. And so this week what I'd like to do is to wrap up this entire series uh, with this simple word. And the word is how. How? How do we love our spouse? How do we love people? How do we love like God called us to? Now, I don't know if you figured this out yet or not, but loving people can be very, very difficult. Anybody have somebody in your life that's hard to love? Okay. If they're in here, don't look at them. But why is that? Why is it? Is it because some people are just mean and ornery? Yeah. Is it, is it because some people are just confused? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Is it because some people are just inconsiderate and uncaring? Like the person that pulls out in front of you and goes three miles an hour, even though you were the last car in line, and they could have just waited two more seconds, so you'd have to lose your mind. Is it because some people are just ignorant? 
Yeah. And, and around here we say ignorant. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you, you know you're dumb when you're just ignorant. You know what I mean? And some people, let's be honest, some people, yeah, that's true. Are some people just loving how they learn to love from others? Are they just replicating the style of love that they grew up with? Now, a lot of times what we see is we see the opposite. So if you grew up with very harsh, aggressive parents, you're a very complacent, allow anything kind of parent because you don't want to be, I'm not going to be my dad. You know what I mean? That's kind of how that stuff goes. But let me ask you this. Are there people that are just unlovable? (laughs) Be careful. Are there people who are loving how they learn to love from other people? Absolutely. Are they unlovable? (laughs) Absolutely not. No way. Even even the worst people are still loved by God. And if those people are unlovable, then let me ask you something. Were you unlovable? Because don't forget, Romans 5.8 says that even while you were an enemy of God, He still loved you. That's a hard one because there's some people that have done some pretty jacked up things and it's hard to love them. But your past potentially plays a huge role in how you love in the present. And for many people, the past and the the lack of or the messed up love that they've experienced in the past often plays a part in their future. But let me give you a really hard truth here. At some point, you're going to have to deal with what happened in your past or else it is going to have a recurring role in your present and it's going to sabotage your future. I understand you were raised in an environment where love was not shown or given. One of the things I do when I tuck my kids in at night is the last thing that they hear me say before I walk out of the room is, do you know I love you? And they'll say yes. Do you know I'm proud of you? They say yes. Because if I die or if they die that night, at least they're going to heaven knowing that I love them and I'm proud of them. I understand that you've been hurt by people who are supposed to love you. People who are supposed to protect you. People who are supposed to care about you and have laid on their lives for you. I realize that they've hurt you. I understand that life has dealt you some tough hands. And that things haven't gone the way you wanted to. And then that makes it hard It makes it hard to love again. I get that. I understand all of this. And I've experienced some of this too. Maybe not to the extent that you have, but we've all experienced this. But please hear my heart on this. How long are you going to allow your past to dictate the present? How long? So what am I asking here? I'm asking you to stop loving out of your history and start loving out of God's heart. That's what I'm asking. 1 John 4, starting in verse 7. By the way, you can always follow along on version. So just click on the version app, click the three little things at the bottom of the menu, click events and click Freedom Church. Save this message. Like, Go back and look over it. Let the Lord speak to you about it. Um, it's a great way to follow along. But let's start in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and that he in, and he in us, because He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. By this 
uh, is love perfected within us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he can see uh, who has seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, look, this is a long passage. I get it. But I'm intrigued in how God's love for us and our love for him is intertwined with our love for others as well. It's hard sometimes for us because we are very compartmentalized people. We have our church friends on Sunday. We have our work friends. We have our hangout on the weekend friends. We compartmentalize things if a bill comes or if it's a communication with a friend. Like We, we compartmentalize every little thing in our lives. And so it would make sense for God to compartmentalize this. Okay, you have God loves you. Boom, that's in a box. I love God. Boom, that's in a box. And then I love others. They're all separate, but they are all working. Well, is that what God did? Is that what we see? Well, in fact, what we see is that when we experience the love of God, we reciprocate that love to him. And then the byproduct is that we produce that love towards other people. It's almost like God's love is a seed that he puts in our hearts. And the response to that is a tree grows that just blossoms with our love in response to him. And we produce fruit. And in those fruits, people are fed by the love that we have for them. And not only that, the fruits have seeds. And so as the seeds hit the ground, more love springs up. And so everywhere we go and whatever we do, people are surrounded by love. Could it be that God designed the system where when you experience God's love, it has such a profound effect on you that you love God back and you love others through his love as a side effect? Yeah, that's precisely what God designed it like. That's exactly what we're supposed to be doing. So the key to loving effectively is not accepting them or not putting not your concern for them. It's not your acceptance of them or your compassion of them. And, and listen, all those things help, but the key is actually loving them out of your love for God. That's the key. So hear what I'm saying. How you love your spouse, how you love people around you, it's a direct product of the love between you and God. That's what it is. So when I ask a question like, how do we love God like God's called us to? What I really should be asking is, do you love God well enough to love others effectively? Is there enough love between you and God that the byproduct of that love is enough to love people around you? Last week, I made a comment that said, whatever's in your cup is going to come out, so be very careful what you're putting in your cup. Well, if you're experiencing a deficit of love in your life right now, I know it's easy to try to diagnose that problem between you and the person that you're experiencing that with, but have you considered that your love for God is directly linked to how you love people? Come on, husbands and wives. It's directly linked to how you love your spouse. I just read this, but it's worth reading again. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So if you want to love like God loves, you're going to do three things that I'm going to share with you today. The first one is simply this. It takes you being born of and know God. Being born of and knowing God. Now, this is kind of odd language. We don't use this a lot. Like, be born of me. It's like Shakespeare. So we don't do that a lot. But if you look at the words in Greek, be born of, it's what you might expect. It means to beget or, or to give birth. But it also carries this idea of being from the father, of or from the father. 
I don't know if you've ever met somebody who's from Ireland or Scotland or um, in, like you see this a lot in, in, in Jewish names and Hebrew names. But like with Hebrew, there's bet something or bar something. So like, for instance, the guy who got switched out with Jesus, Barabbas, it's kind of a play on words because Barabbas just means son of the father. Bar means son of and Abbas means father. So technically, when Jesus was traded for Barabbas, Jesus was trading was being traded for anybody that had a father. That's kind of one way you look at it, which is pretty cool. Okay, uh, but if you see an Irish person, O'Connell, O means son of, Mac MacGregor. So like my name Cowart is from the clan McCulloch. Well, clan McCulloch just means son of Culloch. That's all it means. So son of it's begotten, begotten from the father. Well, no is not just having a head knowledge of but having a firsthand experiential knowledge of. So it, if we take all that, we can adjust the translation, still be accurate, but it'll be a little bit more figurative and saying it like this. Be begotten of the Father, knowing Him through firsthand experience. I don't know about you, but that, that changes that verse a little bit. It makes it a little bit more intense and a little bit more powerful. And remember, the context is loving others out of the love that we have between us and God. So if I'm going to effectively love other people, I cannot do so without being born of the Father and experientially knowing Him. Do you see why now it's so important for you to have time with Jesus? Man, y'all always harping on, have time with Jesus, read your Bible, spend time with the Lord. Why? It's because you are going to be incapable of loving like God's called you to love if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, there are people out there that love and they don't know Jesus, not like God wants them to. Most times it's conditional love. It's love based on what you can do for me. It's transactional at best. So now do you see why spending time with Jesus is so essential? And loving others is really just one facet of your life. Every aspect of your life should spring from your relationship with God. Not just loving people, but every moment of your life. Every situation in your life, it should spring from that. So you're in a covenant relationship with God. And you're in a covenant relationship with your spouse. And that covenant meet with God means more than just a promise. It means you're born of God. It means you know God. And the result of this covenant means that you're committed to the very fibers of your being. So this is the power of covenant. This is what I'm trying to get you to understand is this is why covenant is such a big deal. Uh, we, we came from New Covenant Church in Longview, Texas. And there was a reason why the name got changed to New Covenant in 2005. And the reason is because most people don't understand the power of covenant anymore. Most people, they use something and they throw it away and they get a new one. They do that with relationships too. They, they do that with everything in their lives. The covenant, it just doesn't mean as much as it used to. But covenant is, is important and it's massive in terms of your relationship with God and this is why getting married is stronger than living together. It's because it's the, the marriage covenant we're talking about. This is why tithing is stronger than tipping God. Well, God, here's your 20. Like, no, why? Because when you're in financial covenant, go read Malachi chapter 3. Go read Malachi chapter 3 and find out what happens when you're in financial covenant with God. It's more than just open heavens. It's rebuking the devourer for your sake. This is why serving is stronger than just attending. It's a kingdom covenant. I mentioned in first service how there was a there was a guy this week that calls me and he says, hey, um, uh, just a couple questions. And he asked him about men's group and all that. But he says, hey, I'm struggling with alcoholism and I don't know what to do. Can you help me? And so I, now I could have easily said, well, let's just meet for coffee and talk about it. But no, you know what I did? I text two friends, two brothers in men's group. 
that have had struggles with alcoholism and have whooped it. And I put them in a group together on GroupMe. And I added the third person. And they met Friday night and talked through it. Now they're going to meet once a week. And they're committed to helping this guy beat this. Come on, man. Now, why is that such a big deal? It's because serving is more than hospitality or on the worship team or behind the coffee bar or in kids' ministry. Serving is taking what God's put inside of you and taking your victories and your defeats and allowing God to use them to see somebody's lives change. That's kingdom covenant. So if you're willing to let God use anything that's happened in your life, you are in kingdom covenant with God and you're going to see kingdom results, man. Praise the Lord. Covenant says I'm all in and I'm not going anywhere. Covenant, it gives God an open door to bless those that are in covenant with him. I think I need to take a moment and talk to you about covenant first when it comes to Genesis chapter 15. It's super important, and I just want to explain it to you for just a second. In Genesis 15, God makes a covenant with Abram. Okay, This is before father. Abraham had many sons. This is when he was just plain Jane old Abram. Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 1, it says this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to, the, to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you're able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Listen, and please understand, I'm not denigrating God's word right now. But the moment God said that to Abram in his dream, they were just words. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you felt like God told you to do something, but you're like, was that me or was that God or was that the pizza I had last night? Like, what was it? Like, what? Man, I don't know. Like, that's a pretty big deal. I don't know if I should do that. Is that God? See, at that moment, it's just words. But look at verse 6. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it righteous, as righteousness to him. In that moment, Abram said, you know what? I know there were just words in my mind, but if God said them, I believe them no matter what. I'm going to stick with that. And in that moment, God counted it to righteousness to him. Now, in that moment, Abram was born of God, and he knew God. Why? Because he knew his God was faithful. And he knew that if he said something, God said something, he was going to follow through. God, Abram, Abram knew God loved him too much for his words to fail. But remember, we're talking covenant here and why covenant is so important. Look at what happens next. This is nuts. Starting in verse 7. And he said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought all of these, cut them in half, and laid them over against each other. But he did not cut the birds in half. Verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. What is going on? This is why knowing the culture the Bible was written in is so important. During this time period, when you were going to establish a covenant with each other, y'all didn't go down to the courthouse and sign a paper. You took an animal, you cut it in half. And I'm not talking about like in half. I'm talking about this way in half, long ways. And you laid it over the side where there was an alley in between. And then the two people that were going to get in covenant together, what they would do is they would pass through the carcasses around it, pass back through around it, making the symbol of infinity. 
and the other person would do it. And then they would look at each other in the eyes and they would say, may this that has happened to the animals happen to me should I ever break my covenant with you. Why am I telling you all of this? Because I want you to see how big of a deal covenant is with God. I want you to see how big of a deal it is. And when it comes to you, he wants covenant with you. And he would rather be sawn in two than abandon the covenant that he made with you through his son, Jesus Christ. Come on, church. That's love. That is the pursuit of your ultimate good, even if it means suffering for God. And don't forget that God put his money where his mouth is because he was split in two for you. They nailed him to a cross. They separated God the Father and God the Son, splitting him in two. And guess what? We get to walk through the midst of those carcasses and make a covenant with God and it changes us. I know you want to love your spouse well and I know you want to love others around you well and like God wants you to, but you've got to understand that God is a covenant God and that means that we need to be covenant people. You need to be born of God. That first covenant you need to make is with Jesus Christ. You need to be saved. You need to make Jesus Lord. You need to be actively engaged in the word, in prayer, in discipleship, in development. You need to address issues in your life, okay? You need to embrace God's best for you more than anything. You should want to be like Jesus. You want to please God. You know, do everything you can to love Him. And by the way, this is what Christianity looks like. Like Christianity isn't felt boards and Easter Sundays. It's, it's doing everything you can to be like Jesus. You need to know God. You can't know Him, but never spend time with Him. Come on, you people who are married in here. Imagine if you just like, hey, I like you, and then you didn't talk. Would you be married right now? Well, he just won't call me. I like you, though. Come on. you got to spend time together, man. You have to explore the depths of the word because the word reveals God's character. There's some crazy stuff in the Bible. Did y'all know that? And I don't know how bad of a life you've lived or the stuff that you've done, but you probably haven't murdered a dude so you could have an adulterous affair with his wife. You probably hadn't done that. And if you have, like, God will forgive you. Why? Because in his character... He already forgave somebody who did that. Don't forget, the child, of the, the, the child that was produced from that died. But did you know that the line that Jesus descended from wasn't from David and some other woman. It was David and the woman that he murdered and adulteried for. Bathsheba produced Solomon. So you think God can't make something beautiful out of your messed up past? If he did it with David, he can do it with you. It's just you have to be in covenant with him. That's how it works. It's all about covenant. If you aren't born of him, aren't seeking him, aren't striving to know him, how can you honestly say that you're in covenant with him? And if you're not in covenant with him, how can you effectively love those around you when that love is rooted in the love that you have between you and God? Look, I'm not saying you have to quit everything and go live in a monastery. Get that weird little haircut and wear a rosary and... Oh, nobody bothers me like... And who wears wool in Texas? Come on, like it's might as well just go to hell at that point, right? But y'all, I am I am saying that your life has to be centered around him. I had a I had about a 20, 25 minute conversation with my nephew on Friday at Air U over an icy of all things. He's about 16 years old or so, and he was asking, um, why, why did I think Jesus had to be most important? Because 
He said, my family and my friends are the most important thing to me. I said, well, I said, if I give you the simple answer, the simple answer is because my family and friends aren't going to save me. He says, what do you mean? I was like, my family and friends aren't going to get me to heaven. They're not going to get me a relationship with Jesus. Only Jesus died for my sins. And I said, you know what else, though, is my, my family wants me to put Jesus first. Because when I put them in front of Jesus, it means that I'm not being the best I can be. And if I'm not the best I can be, it means I'm not loving them the best I can love them. And I explained this over the course of 20 minutes, and he goes, I get it now. I understand. And I think sometimes we just need somebody to sit down with us across from my icy and say, hey, look, this is why Jesus is number one. As long as it's white cherry, because it's delicious. <laughs> you want to know how to have the life that you only dreamed of? I'm going to put it on the screen. This is the answer. Let your waking thought be about God. Let him be your parting thought at night before you go to bed. Engage with him throughout the day no matter what you're doing. Yeah, yes, on 610, my Lord, please. On 90 when that train comes across, yes. But listen to me, also while you're at work. Now, let me give you a little caveat. Because I don't mean bring a prayer shawl and be like, you know, rocking back and forth. And the boss comes up and, hey, can I get the... You're interrupting my prayers. Don't be weird about it, man. Like, don't be so holy and heavenly minded. You're no earthly good, they used to say. Like, you're walking through the deodorant and aisle. You're not even walking, you're just floating. That's not what we're called to do, okay? But you can think about God throughout the day. You can engage with him throughout the day. And let me give you proof. You're thinking about everything else. You're thinking how you're going to meet that bill. Are you thinking, how in the world am I going to get this taken care of? How in the world am I going to mend the relationship between me and my son? You're thinking, how in the world am I going to get that shipment from China? You're thinking, you're thinking about all these other things. Why can't you think about Jesus? Why can't you just, why can't you in the middle of that, you say, you know what, God? I got a lot on my mind right now, and here's what I'm going to do. You said, cast all your cares upon you. I'm going to give you everything I'm thinking about. And every time you start thinking about it again, go, Jesus, I'm thinking about it again. Are you thinking about it again? Guilty. So I just give it to him again. Seek him, pray, listen, engage with other believers, come to church. That preacher threw that in there. Bible says it. (laughs) Be in covenant with God in every area of your life. Lead your family well. And dudes, I'm especially going to call y'all out. Lead your family. Men, be men. That doesn't mean lord over your spouse and your family. It doesn't mean any of that like that. But I'm telling you right now, God established men as the head of that house. And if you lead like you need to lead, it means that you're not putting undue and unnecessary pressure on your spouse to do what you're not doing. All right, love y'all. Be kingdom-minded. If that's too much to ask, I'm sorry, but that's what being a follower of Jesus looks like. And one more note here. If all of that looks like work to you, then with all due respect, you might not be in love with him. Think about when you met your spouse. All right, I'm going to tell you something. and Y'all can't laugh at me. And if y'all judge me going forward, yeah, I'm going to throw a Bible at you. <laughs> but when I first saw Monique, my wife, I was like, oh, bless her. You know, like, just... You know, I mean, by the way, if your spouse doesn't just like, you know, like, yeah, 
Anyway, I was just like, oh, Lord. But even beyond just how pretty she was and my physical attraction to her, I remember the, the day that I met her. That night, um, I, was, I was going back to the college, and one of our mutual friends, a guy named Sam, was riding with me. And so I was like, hey, man, what's up with Monique? He goes, what do you mean, what's up with Monique? I'm like, what's up with Monique? You know? And he's like, oh. I was like, shut up, dude. Just tell me, like, give me the lowdown. Like, I, I just, look, I Googled my wife before I started talking to her because I don't want to be married to a serial killer. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you don't know these people. They may have slipped under the radar or something. I don't know. And he just said, look, man, whoever marries Monique is going to be the luckiest guy. And I said, that's me. That's the first time I met her. And I, I just, I, I loved her from the start. Now, why am I telling you this? It's because I would do some stupid stuff, y'all. Here's the thing you can't judge me for. Um, so whenever Monique and I first started dating, um, she had a little car. There was a Saturn. It was a little green Saturn. We called it the turtle because it was about the size of a turtle. Y'all heard what I'm saying? Like, and about the speed of a turtle. Um, we would take that thing down, down the, the state highways around Marshall where we were at school. <laughs> oh, God. Guys, I love y'all. Please don't be mad at me. We would pull off on the side of the road and pick flowers. Look, I'm a grown man, all right? You know what I'm saying? Like, I'll bust you up, dog. But, like, we would, who, Indian paintbrush, you know? Like, <laughs> it was silly. Cars would be like, wah, wah, you know, like, get off the road. Like, we're picking flowers over here, you know? Like, it was, it was ridiculous. It was so dumb. She loved it, though. She loved it. Let me tell you something. Love makes even silly things sweet as long as they're with the person your heart longs for. So it wasn't about the, it wasn't about the bouquets and getting honked at by truckers. I just, want, I just want to be with the person that I loved. I longed for her, and so I would do anything to be with her. I've got a question for you. Do you long for God like that? Do you long for him where you'll do anything to be with him? Where you wake up on a Sunday morning, you're like, I can't wait to get to church. I can't wait to get to my prayer time on Monday morning. I can't wait to be there. Let me ask you, do you feel that same way about your spouse? Oh, Ball and Jane. No. Like I heard a guy one time, he said, yeah, we've been married 15 long years. Really? Is that the life you want to live with your spouse or does your heart long for them. First John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. I want to draw something. Leave it there for a second because I want you to notice it doesn't say we love God because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. It's always got to be out of your relationship with Jesus. So how do you love your spouse and others as God intended? It has to start with you being born of and knowing God. Until you're born of God, until you know him, your love for others will always be a fraction of what it could be. So here's number two. You want to love like God loves. It takes, number two, laying down your life. Laying down your life. Matthew 16, 25, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, when we hear verses like this, we automatically go into thinking of like giving our lives physically for somebody. We think about like, like hero level stuff, medal of honor kind of stuff. But, and, and that can be accurate, but... Giving, laying down your life for somebody doesn't just mean like physically dying for them. 
When you consider the context of this verse, if you look at the verse right after, you see that it's talking about your soul because the very next verse says, what profit is it to gain the world but to lose your soul? Okay? So what's the point of losing your life for Christ's sakes? Meaning, it means you gain your life. There's a stark difference between the temporal and the eternal. There is no benefit to gain all the world and lose your soul, especially young people. Y'all hear me real close right now. If you could have all the money in the world, the best cars, the best house, you could have everything the world has to offer. But if you gained all of that but didn't have Jesus, what's it going to profit you? You know why? Because when you die, your money goes away. Your house can burn down like this. I mean, like I said, a, a, my goodness, you can walk outside the door and some guy comes riding by on the sidewalk on a bicycle, hits you in the head, and you die. God forbid that happens. But what is it to gain everything but lose eternity? It's no benefit to gain here and now but to lose heaven. And John 15, 13 has the same exact ideology behind it. It says, greater love has no one than this than someone who lays his life down for his friends. So just like there's a clear difference between the temporal, the here and now, and the eternal, there's also a clear difference between your flesh and your spirit. Your flesh doesn't want to lay itself down for anything. If you want proof of that, when you go eat here in a few minutes and you look at the menu and your flesh goes, carbs, you, you know your flesh wants to do what it wants to do. Your flesh doesn't want to be crucified with Christ either. Look at, look at what the flesh craves in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Now just leave that there for just a second. Look at this. Who wants to be treated like this? Now look, I know you probably haven't like put a hex on somebody and committed sorcery. You know, if... <laughs> And maybe you got a little voodoo doll, and like every time you stab it, you're like, at work, what was that? No, stop. You need to stop doing that. Okay, that's, that's witchcraft. Bad, bad, bad. Okay? <laughs> you probably haven't done that, okay? But have you lusted? The Bible says that's adultery. Have you gotten so mad at somebody that you're like, I hate that person? The Bible says that's, that's murder. Are you currently in contention with your spouse? Don't look at them. Look, nobody wants to be treated like this. But you know how we want to be treated? We want a spouse who is kind and patient and gentle and loving and able to manage well their emotions. We want somebody faithful. And how do you think love like that happens? Magic? Is it a miracle? Look at what Galatians 5.22 says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, 23, gentleness, self-control, Against such there is no law. But man, 24 is where we land. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Amen. Here we are again back at losing our lives and laying them down, being crucified with Christ. So what's my point? Love is going to require you lay down your life. It's going to require it. Your passions, your wants, your desires, your dreams, your feelings, your future, your identity, what people think you should be, the future that you had in mind. 
all of that has to be crucified with Christ. You've got to lay everything down. When you get married, you're literally knitting your life together with another person. And that means that everything you are is now for them and everything they are is now for you. And so just like in 1 Corinthians 7, 5, the Bible talks about how you don't need to withhold yourselves from each other. Come on, you know what we're talking about here. I'm trying to keep it PG for little ears, but we, you know what we're talking about here. Well, guess what? Sometimes you want to, and sometimes you don't want to. But what you do is you don't withhold from your spouse because you are tied to them. And you lay down everything for your spouse. In the same way, everything you are is laid down for the ultimate good of the both of you. If you're refusing to lay down your life for your spouse, I'm going to skip the question about whether or not you love them. I'm curious about your relationship with God. I'm curious about your spiritual walk. I'm curious if you really understand what it means to be taken by your spouse. To take and be taken by the Lord. Now, I realize there's some people in here that might find this very restricting. Like, I don't know about all that. You, you, your idea might be that the other, this other person is supposed to help you elevate you to your dreams and reach my goals and help me climb the ladder. And you're supposed to be a support and all this kind of stuff. Listen to me. That's the culture preaching to you, not Jesus. That's the culture. They just define your ladder. No, that's the culture. I've had to lay down my life with Jesus. How to be crucified with Christ. You know what? Sometimes my little knucklehead self likes to get off the cross every now and then and do it my way a few times. But I've got to crucify that thing on the cross. But here's what I found. I'm more free now than I've ever been. I'm more alive now than I've ever been. I'm more satisfied than I've ever been. I'm more fulfilled now than I've ever been. Why? Because the old me is dead on a cross. And the me that God created me to be is alive and well. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I mess up. I still sin. I still struggle. I still have bad days. But I'm crucified with Christ. I've laid my life down with Him. But I've also had to do the same thing with my spouse and with my family. Like, like Saturday, when Viv had another math and science meet where she had to be at the school at 6.20 in the morning. On Saturday, that sleepy day. <laughs> and you know what I did? Monique was going to go take her. And the night before, I was asking Monique all these questions about what Viv needs for the next day. She's like, why are you asking all this? I said, because I want you to stay in bed and sleep. I'll take her. Yeah, see? <laughs> Your boy trying to score points, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're not supposed to keep a record of wrongs. I'm keeping a record of rights. Thank you. <laughs> but the truth is, I'm more satisfied now than I ever have been. Laying my life down with my life, my wife. So just like with Jesus, laying your life down with your spouse, with your family, guys, it doesn't limit you. It frees you. So if you want to love like God loves, here's the last thing it takes. It takes you taking on a new identity. Now, don't hear, be different so people will like you. It's not what I'm saying. It means be the person that God actually created you to be, and that's somebody who loves well, who loves like He loves. So, what is that? That's John 13, 34 and 35. The Bible says this, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By, all, by this all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So when you said yes to Jesus, you said yes to more than just heaven. Okay, You said yes to his life, not your own. You said yes to his way, the way he does things, not the way we do things. We said yes to his identity for us, not the one that we think we are. We said yes to his will, his ways, his best, and yes, even his love. 
Not only in embracing his love for you, but in how he loves other people. Jesus said people will know whose you are by the way you love. So here's a question. Would people know you love Jesus by the way you love your spouse? Your family? Other people? Maybe even yourself? If I followed you around for the next three days and had 24-7 access, or 24 access, not just to you and what you did, but also to what you thought about. All right, creep. (laughs) Would I know you love God by how I saw you love other people? So how can we take on that identity that God has called us to when it comes to loving others? Last thing I want to do is give you some real simple practical verses. This is practical stuff that can help you do this. I've given you all of the, the theory. Let me give you some practicum. First one is put others first. Simple, put others first. Don't be selfish. I don't know anybody in here that, that doesn't think a selfish person is a jerk. Don't be a jerk. It's that simple. Nobody likes a selfish, arrogant person. Oh, I love them. Oh, really? Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Come on, people who are married in here for just a second. When's the last time you showed your spouse that you honored and valued them by how you minimized your wants and elevated their wants? Second one is be forgiving. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So here's what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to think about it. You only have to forgive people in your life to the extent that God forgave you. Okay? Well, I've been really good, so God hasn't had to forgive a lot. All right, fam, you just did another sin. Just (laughs) did another one. Be forgiving. Don't hold things over people's heads. If you want people to do that to you, knock yourself out. What about this one? Be honoring. Romans 12.10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I always think about like opening the car door for my wife because she loves it when I do that. And guess how much I do that? Not a lot. Like on date night, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, no, let me get that. <laughs> I thought to myself one day, like, why? Like, why, why don't I just go open the door for it? It's like not that big a deal. It's like, well, it's like you got the wall around there and all the way back. And then when you're walking back, people are going, oh, look at that old guy. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, it's like, yeah, okay. You know, open the door. It's not a big deal. But how is it honoring my wife for me to worry more about what other people might think about me or the few extra steps I have to take rather than just honoring her, showing her I love her? What about this one, turning the other cheek? Matthew 5, 39. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to the left cheek also and then punch them out. Oh, crap. It doesn't say that. That was my bad. That was my bad right at the end. That's me. I learned something the other day because I've always had a hard time with this one because it's like I don't want to get run over. I don't want people to take advantage of me. So if you go slap me on the face and I'm going to give you another thing to slap, you better not slap it twice. You know what I'm saying? Like, But I learned the other day that, again, going back to culture when this was written, The idea behind this was when your cheek gets slapped, you feel pain, you feel heat, it hurts, you it it's you know, it's the anger side of you. And so the goal is not to turn the other cheek so they can slap that joker too. But instead, if this cheek is hot and inflamed in pain and anger, this one is calm and cool and collected and able to respond effectively. And the Bible says that a soft answer is what answers anger, right? So 
So it's letting the cool, collected, spirit-led side of you respond to the slap, not the painful, hurting, arrogant, fleshly side. Wow, that changes things, doesn't it? Make you want to slap somebody, just see what happens. Mm -mm. So here's what I'm saying. When the husband gets home and he's had a really rough day at work, and the first thing he does is he takes out what he did at work on you because you're an easy target. And now, if he physically slaps you, like you call me, we're going to take care of stuff. We'll, we'll take care of that. Don't ever do that mess. But if the metaphorical slap happens, don't slap back. Turn the other cheek. Let a soft answer turn away wrath. You see what I'm saying? And vice versa. Husbands, if you get home and... Homeschool wasn't done, and the dishes are full, and chickens ain't had the eggs pulled out, and all this other stuff. Don't be like, well, you've been doing all day long. Like, you're going to die if that happens. Like, she's probably going to shoot you. You know what I'm saying? But respond to each other well. Next one is follow through. John 3, 18, 1 John 3, 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. How many of y'all know talk is cheap? All right, if talk is cheap, then follow through. Let your yes be yes. If you say, I'm going to be home in 30 minutes, you better get your rear in home in 30 minutes. Why? Because it shows that you love your spouse. Serve one another. Galatians 5.13, For you have called to freedom, brothers. Not Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Don't roll up into your house and blow off the handle and be living all up in your flesh because you know that they're married to you and there's a license and it takes a lot for them to get away from you. Don't do that. That, that's, that's not what the Bible's talking about. But we're to serve one. Our freedom should be designed to unpack the fruit of the Spirit on people, not the fruit of the flesh on people. Mm. Lastly is this, just be Spirit-led. Galatians 5, 16. But I say walk in the Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. What? So you're telling me that if I will allow the Holy Spirit to lead me, then I won't do to people that I love, that I say I love, all of these things that are fleshly? Yeah, it's exactly what the Bible teaches. I, mean, I, could, I could go on like this for an hour. There's a million verses that talk about how you can love people. But let me just wrap it up by, by saying this to you, that there's so much in Scripture about how to love people. But how I'd like for us to end today is simply this. I want us to take a moment and evaluate our own lives, and I want us to evaluate how we love people. The whole entire intent of this message was to show you in Scripture, show you through some points and through some just talking points on how we can love like God loves. So now it's time to evaluate whether or not we're loving like God loves. I think it's important. Not only we hear the, the theory, the practicum, but now all of a sudden we have an opportunity to evaluate our lives. How would you define your love for your spouse? Is it selfish or selfless? Is it demanding or is it serving? Is it fleshly or is it spiritual? What about your family, your friends, other people, man, yourself? Dude, what about, what about your enemies? The Bible says in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. Lead me along the path of everlasting life. So I want to give you an opportunity today to interact with God in this moment. And you can get a lot from this teaching, but you can get so much more from one word from the Holy Spirit today. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to ask the Holy Spirit to help us in this moment. I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit. I want you to be ready to write it down if you need to. Tap it on your phone or at the bare minimum, remember 
what the Spirit says to you today. I'm going to ask you two questions. So would you go ahead and bow your heads right now? And the only reason I ask you to do that is so that you can focus on you and the Lord and nothing else and no one else around you. God, what practical things do I need to do to increase the love between you and I? That's your first question. What practical things do I need to do to increase the love between you and I? I'm just going to give you a minute. Maybe there's a step he wants you to take. I need to be baptized. I need to give my life to you. Start off with Jesus. Maybe you need to forgive somebody. Nobody's looking around right now, but if you know that you need to give your life to Jesus today, just raise your hand. Thank you. It's very simple. It's very simple. Jesus, you're a Lord. I confess you as Lord. Save my soul. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose again. Thank you for saving me. If you said that and you meant it, God means it. You're saved. That's it. No hoops. Whatever God told you, you need to remember it. Last question is this. What practical things do I need to do to increase the love between my spouse and I? Now, if you're single, change out spouse with others. Maybe it's family members. Maybe it's friends. But what are some practical things I can do to increase the love? Father, I thank you so much for this moment. I thank you for your love for us. Gosh, I thank you so much. I mean, what will we do without your love, Jesus? Thank you for loving us. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for being in covenant with us. Thank you for giving everything for us. Now, as we pray, God, that you would speak to your people, I, I pray that not only did they hear your voice, but Holy Spirit, that you give them courage to actually step out and do the thing you asked them to do. God, whatever is keeping us from a better love relationship with you, our spouse, our family, our friends, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would not only show us, but that you would give us the courage to know what to do next. Father, we're so grateful for you. We thank you. We thank you for your love. Come on, church, just in your own way. Just tell the Lord you're so grateful for his love for you. I mean, my goodness, where would you be without him? Where would you be without his love? We thank you for it. Praise you. We love you, Jesus. It's your name I pray. Amen. At Freedom, we want to help you have authentic relationships with God and His people, to have real experiences with the Holy Spirit, and to find lasting freedom. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you through this message, or if you want to make a decision for Jesus, please reach out at freedomdl.com connect. For more info on Freedom, including service times and location, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening.